2: Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bo's Nose Show coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we come to you live every Wednesday at four o'clock here. To talk about all things Lane County or you know, national or even world events uh, or anything you want to talk about because at, on the Bo's Nose Show, We'll talk about whatever somebody calls in and wants to talk about. And that number to call in is 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get in on the show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get on the show. If you notice, a little bit different background lighting. I moved out of my office and into my den so that I could allow my to have access to our exercise bike so she can get some exercise here during this you know pandemic where we've been penned up at, at home a lot so uh you know because you know with the fan and everything else going on the exercise bike it can kind of get a little noisy i bet everybody else is trying to get some exercise and and keep themselves from going stir crazy during this pandemic as we all stay home to stay safe um, you know it's Kind of amazing it, the the number of closures we keep hearing about keep going up. In fact, uh, just today I heard that the uh, port of Sayuslaw, which is down there, you know, right next to Florence, um, announced they're closing all their facilities. Not just their campground, they're closing their boat ramp and everything else in their their um, beach and picnic area. So everything about Port of Sayuslaw is closed now. And in addition to that, um, the Chamber of Commerce announced that they are not going to hold the Rhododendron Festival this year coming up in May, which is predicted to be kind of like the peak of the cases here in Oregon is going to be in, in the middle of May. And uh, in addition to that, the other day, uh, the Siuslaw National Forest announced that they're closing down the dunes completely. They had closed down certain um, uh, parking areas and, and restrooms, etc., where people were, were crowding too much, and even with that, they're having problems with people doing stupid things like going out and partying in the middle of dunes because they can't party anyplace else, so they're having to close the dunes down. Um, so basically, the Oregon coast is shutting down. Uh, so you know, if you're thinking about traveling out of area it's probably not a good idea because you can either take the virus with you to an area that doesn't have it by the way so far coos county has zero cases um and it's one of the few counties in oregon that's that way so we don't want to be taking that down to the dunes in coos county and also you know there's a chance that you know you might be bringing it back home you know from some place you go into to your house and your community so Best if you stay in your communities, um, you know, kind of gets tough because it gets boring for some people. That's why I provide this show for at least an hour. You can have a little bit of entertainment, but, you know, so coming to you live from my den now, instead of my office in beautiful downtown Elmira during the uh, COVID shutdown 2020, and it's kind of interesting because um, this whole you know, pandemic and everything, is changing the world in, in significant ways. And in some ways, um, there's some parallels here to an issue that came up before the Board of Commissioners yesterday, as we once again spent over an hour on a climate action plan that is probably going to be meaningless and do little to change the temperature of the earth uh, in fact we know it won't do anything and uh, we keep spending staff time and taxpayer resources on this issue of climate change so uh it gets to be a a real interesting parallel somewhat though uh the folks that are uh, you know the true believers in in climate change uh Pin a lot of their belief on computer models. Now, if anyone's been paying attention to the news around the COVID-19 outbreak, it's that the um, computer modeling for the uh, number of cases, number of deaths, whatever, has been all over the place. Whether it's you know predicting 2.2 uh, you know million deaths in the U.S. to you know only 80,000 deaths in the US to 20,000 deaths in the US. Um, the, the variance in results is wide. And when you think about modeling a pandemic, the number of variables involved to model that pandemic is relatively small in comparison to trying to model the climate of this planet. I mean, the variables for a pandemic are things like, you know, how, you know, what's the rate of transmission, you know, you know, um, are, you know, do you move that up or down based on people staying home and sheltering in place, you know, so you lower the transmission rate or increase the transmission rate. Um, what's the mortality rate? What's the hosp- hospitalization rate? Uh, what was the original, you know, depth of infection in the population? You know, there's not too many variables when you think about it to model. And still they vary from twenty thousand up to two point two million deaths in the US in some of those models. The climate involves everything from wind currents, cloud cover, ocean currents, ocean, you know, how much you know, energy does the ocean absorb and store, you know, hundreds of thousands of variables involved in our climate, yet we're supposed to believe that one single trace gas in our atmosphere and a slight increase in that variable is supposed to have such a large impact on the Earth's climate, rather than what's happening naturally as we come out of an ice age. Um, that's you know where just one parallel you can draw there. Well, I did say that I like it when people call in and we'll talk about whatever they want to talk about. So we're going to pick up a caller here on the Bose Nose Show as we have Michael calling in. Michael, welcome to the Bose yes, Nose Show. Afternoon. What's yes, on your afternoon. mind?
1: Yes, good afternoon, sir. Thanks yes, for having good my call. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I think I gonna say, this uh, whole think pandemic this and whole pan- this ties pan- in the climate change is really is about just government, government just government control. And it's about the government yeah, and the media shaping the narratives media. to build yeah. fear in the population, which then yeah. the government can use for their own benefit to institute more control, whether it's taking over the economy, instituting taxes, just growing their overall power and control over our, over our country. and The population the same so. should Europe and in other countries as well.
2: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you in some ways, and particularly when it comes to the climate change issue. In fact, um, there's been multiple people at the IPCC and in other uh, bureaucracies that have actually stated that, you know, regardless of climate change, they would still want to do the things they're proposing as mitigation and cures for climate change, because really it's about redistribution of wealth and centralized planning of our economy. Yeah, when, you, when you're planning energy, you're planning our economy. Uh, the, the COVID-19, there's some level of, of, of fear and wanting to use the government. In fact, you saw some of that when they were trying to slide stuff into the relief bill that had nothing to do with the, the epidemic. Um, but there, there is a true threat out there. This is, this is a unique new virus um, that has no herd immunity in the human population and without some kind of mitigation, it would have really, those those 2.1 to 2.2 million deaths were possible. So, uh, but I do think that there are people now taking advantage, you know, don't let a good crisis go to waste. And they're proposing extra um, uh, government powers beyond what's needed to deal with the crisis.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't call it a crisis. Though. I think that's an exaggeration. I mean, the numbers we're talking about to me doesn't justify this basically almost destroying the economy to the point where we've got millions of people unemployed uh we don't know how bad this is going to damage the economy. this could lead to a massive depression that could have you know could last a long time and with all this extra spending, we could be looking at hyperinflation and all type of things could potentially play out where I think in the long run we're going to look back and realize this was a complete overreaction, and this wasn't as bad as people thought it was. And the only reason people are panicking is because of the media. I mean, the media is the one instilling the fear and the panic in the country. Otherwise, if people were honest, they would say, you know, there's so many other things that cause way more deaths and cause, you know, people get ill that are far higher than this. I mean, what do you mean? Do you know anyone that's got the coronavirus at all?
2: I actually know somebody
1: that's passed from the coronavirus. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, are you sure they passed because of the coronavirus or they just happened to pass and they had the coronavirus? Cause I think that's when they need to be. Uh,
2: somebody that got the coronavirus and passed. Um,
1: you know, they, uh,
2: you know, of course it was somebody that was over the age of 60. Um, and, and you know, would they have passed naturally? I don't know. I don't think so. Not this, this person was a fairly active in the community person. Um, what I will say, though, is I hope you're right. I hope we look back and say we overreacted. I have one quick question for you, Michael. Do you believe the numbers that came out of China as far as number of cases and number of deaths, or do you think the Chinese are lying about the number of
1: cases and number of deaths? Oh, there's no question that they're lying. And the fact of how they've you know, gone after their own journalists and prison people and some people have just flat out disappeared for – Trying to be whistleblowers and trying to point out that the government's lying is proving itself, and they've had a long history of this. This goes back to even the economic numbers; I don't think are true either. And that's just their history of yeah. just lying. And you know, it, it's a corrupt system
2: there. Yeah. Have you seen some of the numbers about the numbers of um, cell phone customers that the Chinese cell phone providers have lost in the last six months? No, I haven't seen that. What happened? It's in the tens of millions. So, the, the, so I don't know whether that's because of a changeover to 5G that they lost customers, or if it's part of the virus. But there's somewhere between the Chinese reported 3,000 deaths and the reality that I'm hearing. You know, I'm hearing reports that just in the city of Wuhan there were 42,000 deaths. Um, you know, and that's not a big city. You know, when you think about some of the cities in, in China, um, it's bigger than a lot of ones in the U.S., but it's still not, not a huge, you know, it's not New York City. So I, you know, I take this virus very seriously. Um, you yeah, I was kind of a little bit skeptical at first, too, hearing some of the numbers coming out of China, and I see a lot of mortality data as, as sitting on a board of health, at, like I do as an elected official, and it wasn't anything more than a, than a seasonal flu at the time. But what I'm, (laughs) excuse my poodle, Um, but what I'm, what I'm seeing and what I, as I started to watch this roll out and started talking with, with medical professionals, not the news media, was the potential this particular virus had to go exponential in our population. And, And it's that exponential growth and the high degree of hospitalization and need for ICU and ventilators and the, and the and if it goes exponential how easily it would exceed our capacities uh, in in the US and at that point the mortality rate jumps from around 1% up to 4 to 5% and can really drive a huge a, a, a huge human cost so you know, time will tell. Are, 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 you, are you going to be right that we overreacted, or are, are you uh, um, going to be wrong Wrong, and it was all worth it? Um, I, I agree with you. Some of these impacts economically have been astounding, and one of the things I wanted to try and draw to people's attention is a lot of what's happening because of the coronavirus is what people want us to have happen to mitigate climate change based on modeling, you know, and when you think about it, what's happened, we stopped a lot of our, our jet travel, which is one of the things the climate folks want us to stop. We stopped a lot of car travel, you know, go out on the roads. Now there's hardly any traffic, you know, and, and look what it's done to our economy. And, you know, it's just, that's what climate change folks want to have happen. They want to take us all back, you know, uh, basically a half century economically um, based on this belief that um, a trace gas in our atmosphere is going to somehow or another cause, you know, something as bad as the projections of this pandemic are. You hear it all the time, how, you know, whole countries and cities are going to get swallowed up by the ocean and, and, yeah, you know, the storms are going to get worse and, and droughts are going to get worse and rainfall amounts are going to get worse. You know, it's like everything you can blame on climate change. So, um, you yeah, know, I think there's a lesson in this. Um, if it turns out it's an overreaction, it's a real lesson about not going too far with climate change activities. Um, and if it turns out that it was a justified reaction, it's a lesson in what those mitigations are asking for for climate change could really do to our economy. It wouldn't do it overnight like COVID did, but it would do it in a slow motion action um, if, if they move forward with things like the carbon taxing and cap and trade schemes they're trying to move forward with. So Michael, anything else you wanna to touch on today besides the, the fear and the comparison between climate change and and the, and the pandemic? that the media is drummed up and the, and the government grabs that come along with both.
1: Yeah, I was, um, I was seeing, uh, there was, she uh, had the pastor name. I think his name was, uh, I think it was Thomas Howard Brown, or it was a pastor in Florida that got arrested last week for holding services. So was like just. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh,
2: yeah, I did. I did see the news one. I thought it was kind of, um, not a smart idea to be holding the service but two it's a religious freedom issue and a right to assembly so without some kind of um formal declaration of martial law at the national level or and at the state level it's interesting to see um whether that's going to end up in the court system and be it a, be a, a real interesting case um and i think that 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 pastor is going to end up, um, a rich man in the long
1: run. <laughs> yeah. Cause he was stating that he, cause it was a directive. It should have no legal implication. In fact, from what I'm yeah. hearing, I think he's planning to announce today that he's going to have another Sunday. And so they're, uh, they're, uh, they're going to really challenge something in the town. They're yeah. out of PR pressure that he was pretty much saying to have to do it. Legally, I think the pastor's in the right where there's no legal basis for him to be, you know, having taken took into custody and taken into jail for that. So it'll, it'll be an interesting battle. I mean, his, from what I heard from him, he's, he's viewing it as a, a battle over civil liberties and freedom of speech. And so he's yeah. wanting to press this as far as he can and take it all the way to the Supreme Court if he has to. So it'll be an interesting thing to watch and see how that all plays out. Because in a way, it's almost like he's like a canary in the coal mine to see – how this government control is gonna really go down? I mean, how? And they got these people like Dr. Fauci talking about this is gonna come back again next fall, and this is gonna con- continually reoccur. And I mean, I, I don't want this to play out to where every time there's this thing kicks up, all of a sudden the government just gets to institute all these policies. And you know, the same way they use 9/11, how they brought in the Patriot Act to they're able to justify spying in, on the American people and invading our rights and I just feel like they're constantly doing this and I, I yeah, think we've got to yeah. be careful not to let them get away with it again thanks and, for the call th- sir I appreciate it yeah
2: thank you for calling Michael I really appreciate it and thanks for bringing that point up because it, that is such a true point how crises have have generated uh laws that are you know really restrict our freedoms and uh I i Really appreciate you bringing up the Patriot Act because that's a great example um, of how that still exists and our FISA courts still exist that were created after 9-11 um, and they are still out there. These secretive courts, you know, which, you know, are now involved in, uh, you know, whether or not there was, uh, you know, the correct action taken relative to, um you know, President Trump and the investigations of President Trump. So, uh, you know, that lives on as a legacy from 9-11. And, and, you know, there's always this fear, you know, somewhat of what gets enacted in a crisis becomes permanent law. And I'm just hoping we don't do anything like that. Um, Really good points, Michael. Thank you for calling into the Bo's Nose Show. So, you know, it's it is interesting to look at this and think about what people were asking for on climate change and their promotion of climate change as a crisis. Um, And I, and I know that, you know, Dr. Fauci is talking about there could, this could come back in the fall again. Um, And, you know, these kind of viruses could become commonplace as we have international travel. And as we're, um, you know, the population of China and, and the, the, types of markets that they have to feed their people and all that get a lot of interaction of people and animals and uh their their diets are a little bit different there um can be a breeding ground and at a place where these viruses start up and send out uh no different than our influenza viruses but the hopeful thing is i'm hearing today that there's you know um you know this 15-minute testing that's come out a couple days ago today there is one um Uh, University Hospital is saying they may have um, a viable vaccine ready, uh, that they're ready to start some human testing on. So maybe by the fall, we'll have developed enough um, herd immunity by the people that were exposed and maybe didn't get all that sick and we didn't ever get tested. That's part of what the scary part about this is there's such limited testing in this country. The actual number of cases out there is probably way beyond what we're reporting as number of cases. What we're reporting for cases is just what we've tested as a positive. You know, that misses all the people that had it that maybe didn't get severe symptoms and 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 maybe are walking around with it right now with, with less than severe symptoms. Um, and that's the people that are spreading it possibly if they're not obeying some of the social distancing. Um, but at the same time, those people that maybe have a mild case may develop enough immunity that when it comes back in the fall, they'll be immune. So, yeah, there may be another bump in the fall, but I don't know if it's going to be enough to declare the kind of crisis we're sitting in right now where we're trying to flatten that curve and protect our ICU and respirator capacity uh, in our medical system right now, which on the other side by the fall, all these people like Tesla and GM that are starting to rev up to manufacture respirators, that, you know, influx of equipment and, and uh, you know, our development of, of excess capacity in our system will also be online by the fall. So hoping not to have the complete shutdown of the country reoccur every six months as this thing goes on, particularly if we can develop um a, 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 a vaccine that has uh, some efficacy and um, is safe, and we get herd herd immunity out there uh, in the population between the folks that had it and and recovered, and the folks that get immunized. Um, you know, we'll get over this eventually, and and that's as you look at the graphic graphing on this, um, and there's a really good site that has a graph for the entire United States that shows the epidemiology curve. Um, and then there's, and has drop downs where you can click each individual state in the U S and see the graph for your state. Um, and interesting that Oregon's graph um, is uh, basically um, shows us peaking in, in the middle of May and that we'll be done with this by July 1st in Oregon um how long we need to stay at home and continue this social distancing to prevent that from being a camel's hump you know where we get a, a second peak that you know i'm going to let the medical experts tell me but i imagine that some sometime as we get down on that lower back end of this curve um we'll be able to start you know relaxing some of the 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 rules start o- reopening um and allowing you know uh more travel inside the state, et cetera, so that's gonna be a really interesting decision point as we come out of this is how do how do we come out of this um and it's sort of like uh with the um climate change stuff, I always kind of wonder when when is enough enough and and you know w- what does success look like and no one can tell me that. They just want to have all these things to try and mitigate, which is basically centralizing control. Um, so, as we think about COVID-19, there are a couple other issues I want to talk about. Uh, but it looks like we uh, have another caller there, Robin. if you had a chance to check with them? I think Robin's going to check with our caller here.
0: We'll go ahead and put them on live. Uh, Caller, what's your, your name? You're on with Jay Bozovich.
3: Hi, my name is Zul.
2: Hi, hey, Zul. How are you doing? Well. Hello. Yeah. Hi. Uh, what's uh, on your
3: mind? Very interesting. Yes, very interesting points uh, you've made so far. Don't agree with you on everything, but uh, I can tell that you are concerned that uh, this pandemic could grow Very severe. Um, And I I also noted that you uh, inferred that these viruses of this sort, these plagues, uh, come from cities where humans and domesticated animals are in close proximity with, you know, like open slaughter yards and things like that.
2: Um, That's very interesting.
3: Very interesting point
2: yeah it it go ahead i've traveled. i've traveled in rural china back in two thousand thirteen um and my wife was there once prior to that um when you get away from Beijing and shanghai um and in into some of the, the smaller cities and when particularly when you get into the, the rural areas these open markets that they have um they shop almost daily there, uh, and they have basically you walk through one area, and it's all it's kind of produce and stuff like that. And with very little separation, there's an open butchers area, and they're butchering pigs and cows and whatever else, chickens, right out in the open. Um, very little refrigeration, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know you walk into the next area. And they're selling seafood and stuff and uh and and all around this there's little um uh places where you can get deep fried um crickets and all sorts of crazy things uh you know little chicken feet yeah uh, it it
3: sounds like a parade of earthly
2: delights yeah it it's a they're very strange markets and the mixture of animals in those markets is not like what you would think of in the Western world. There is every kind of possible animal available to eat. You can imagine just about, um, in some of these markets. So there's mm-hmm. a intermixing of species, um, close together that you don't see in, 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 maybe some other areas of the world. And that's where Some of they believe some of this transmissions come from is it's going and particularly with this virus they're thinking it came from a bat into another animal and then into humans through these markets. Um, I've I've heard
3: that it came from bats. I've heard that it came from a pangolin. I I don't think we know for sure, but
2: an animal of some kind. Yeah.
3: And, you know, that's what makes these viruses of this kind so deadly is because the virus doesn't know that it's not in the animal. It's host animal. They I mean, they think that they're in their host animal, but they're in a human. And what makes a bat a little sick makes a human deadly sick. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to recognize also that this sort of thing can happen anywhere. It could happen here. It's just you increase the likelihood of it happening when you, you know, the, the more uh, human animal contact there is in an unsanitary condition.
2: Yeah, well, it, look at the Hunta virus out of the southwest of the U.S. Um, that was just rodent droppings and the dust coming up off of rodent droppings that transmitted that into the human population. Of course, there wasn't mm-hmm. as much. There was no human to human really transmission. that didn't um, mutate enough to do that. Was really dangerous about the coronavirus and the previous SARS virus uh, and um, MERS, which came out of the Middle East. Um, was it? You know, they're all coronaviruses, but they mutated once they're in. Once they're animal to human is one way of getting sick and that's not too bad um, as far as the disease goes but once it got into the humans it managed to mutate to be able to be human to human transmission and that's when mm-hmm. it gets really dangerous um, and that that second mutation to get human to human really um, you know creates a, a, a you know, that that danger of suddenly particularly with a new virus where there's no herd immunity in the human population at all to really move quickly and, uh, and become, you know, have the, have the ability to go exponential, particularly with this particular virus that, that has the gamut from asymptomatic uh, carriers to, you know, death. (laughs) And it's that, that, particularly that 80% of the people don't need any hospitalization at all and may have mild to no symptoms is why that that has the capability to go exponential so easily in our population. There are people out there shedding the virus.
3: This leads me to a thought. This is a great segue uh, because this leads me to the thought that many waves of this may come. Hello? Yeah. Yeah. Many waves. Of this may, you know, perpetuate itself in the human population with the ease of travel, with the the time uh, of t- transmissibility without symptoms, it could bounce around the globe for a long time. We might eliminate it here, but it could come back. So, Correct. how do we continue with business as usual if this? is the shape of the future.
2: Yeah, and that's, you know, I talked to people about um the world in July of 2020 is going to look a whole lot different than the world of December 2019. And we have to start imagining what that world's going to look like so we can start preparing and and uh, getting ourselves, you know, ready for the recovery from this. And I think some of the things you will see is we will have a com- I think we'll see a complete change in social norms. You know, what used to be okay to shake somebody's hand and give them a hug is no longer going to be normal. You're going to start seeing us go to, you know, that the elbow, the fist bump, elbow bump, whatever, that, you know, everybody kind of makes fun of Howie Mandel about. Um, But, you know, that may get to be more of the norm. In fact, it may get to be, we go to some of the, the you know Japanese-style uh, bowing to greet each other as a sign of, do you of think, recognition.
3: Do you think wearing masks will be important into the
2: future? Yeah, and which is a good segue because that's something I wanted to talk about on the program today. I think that will become a norm. And, and you know, it's interesting in my way back in 2013, it was not unusual to see people walking the streets of Shanghai with masks on in china and in beijing in particular it was it was quite normal but that was half that was more because the air pollution was so bad um but that's that may get to be much more normal and part of that um and this is where i kind of uh, to me the masks aren't so much to protect you because um there's so many other ways to pick the virus up than, than just through breathing it in. And, those, and if you're not using a, a properly fitted M95 mask, it's not going to filter a virus. Um, if it's just a surgical mask or a dust mask from, from a shop dust mask or whatever, that doesn't really protect you from a virus. What it does protect is everyone around you from if you suddenly sneeze or cough and don't get it covered quick enough it prevents that spray from, you know, getting on somebody else, and those, those, and that aerosol from getting into the air. So it's almost going to be considered maybe in the future polite to wear a mask to prevent that, you know, spontaneous cough or or sneak up on your sneeze from spraying beyond your mask. You know that. You know. So is that the new future that you'll see people wearing masks? And in fact, when I was in China, quite often there were decorative masks that some of the, the women wore there, where they had, you know, glammed them up, you know, where they were, they were different color fabrics, or they had rhinestones on them or whatever else, or they had a little animal face drawn. Um, and that may be the future of what we see. You know, what, what, does, what does July 2020 look like? What does, you know, you know July 2021 look like? You know, are we going to stop shaking hands, or is wearing a mask in public going to be a, a considered actually consider it and a social norm, than rather something something we ridicule as being paranoid? Hmm. I wonder
3: yeah. what, if, do, what, what,
2: uh, what do you think. What do you think July of 2020 looks like? Um, I uh,
3: I think it means a lot of canceled events that people are still clinging to hope that will happen. But the reality is that that would present uh, a huge public health hazard to have those events. Um, and I'm talking about things like Oregon Country Fair.
2: Yeah, so they're,
1: they're,
2: me. They're, in, they're in the uh, decision process right now. I've actually talked to the uh, fair general manager and, and their board is trying to make that go no go call right now.
3: Yeah, and that's, I think, the crux of a lot of decisions going on right now across the country and the world is how do we uh, remain in business, you know, in a world that punishes people that do not participate in that system, you know, of, of business as usual, of making profit before all else. And now we have this choice of the human cost of, you know, putting profit before people, before people's lives. Yeah. And, well, I you know, think things, like, things like this is never, so, it's not something that economic theory of capitalism uh, can deal with or should deal with because it's not a science. I mean, it's not a matter of the mind. It's a matter of something much deeper than that.
2: Yeah. Well, I actually think that um, the, the response that's going to get us out of this is going to come from the creativity of capitalism. The one thing about capitalism is it's very creative and rewards creativity and innovation. So you're, what you're seeing is, um, you know, that company that came out with a 15 minute um, five to 15 minute uh, coronavirus test, you know, that, that came out of, Somebody's desire to be the first out of the gate with a, a quick, easy test that they can get distributed and make a profit from. Um, you know, of you're course, see the, but
3: there's a lot of people that are losing that. their jobs.
2: Oh, yeah. There's, there's a lot of people and, that and are
3: losing their jobs through, through no fault of their own. They're losing their jobs oh, because businesses have okay. to cut back yeah. to deal with this crisis. So and that's, that's what we're dealing a with. Those are the kinds of decisions I'm talking about.
2: Yeah. And there's going to be new jobs created out of this crisis ultimately, and things will change. Um, you know, there's like, what, like,
3: what do you, well, what do you th- Can you think of an example? I'm curious.
2: Yeah. Yeah. For, for instance, there's going to be a lot more emphasis now on um, hygiene in businesses and, and showing the public that you're being hygienic. So those positions of, um, you know, that probably went away with a lot of the cost cutting of the past to try and keep, uh, say, a grocery store chain profitable. Now they're going to have people that are visibly wiping down carts and surfaces, et cetera, to convince the public that their store is cleaner than the other chain store that's uh, down the road. Um, You're going to see things like... um, uh, Go to meetings, Zoom, and all those companies hiring like crazy because everybody's going to online meetings versus in-person meetings. Um, in fact, you know, I, I think I've, I've attended more Zoom go-to meetings and whatever else over the last um, you know week or so than you could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and sorry, as someone's trying to call me. I'm gonna have to decline it. Already. Oh no worries. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so um, uh, I was wondering if,
3: if we might be able to talk, uh, to tie it back in with climate, um, because I'd like to talk yeah. about uh, the forestry industry, and this is tied in with capitalism and theory, if you will. Um, so the timber industry maintains mostly monocrops of dug fir plantations. And much of the state of Oregon is like this. Um, And the the clear-cut practice is not what you would call best practice, but it's the most widely used practice because it generates the most profits for the industry. That's what's being rewarded. You know, the, the innovators are rewarded for innovating because it brings more profits. That's the crux of the whole system. That's the whole point, Right. So
2: what this brings us to is that you you have to... Our private ownership is tiny in comparison to the federal ownership that is not monoculture. So you're talking about something that's essentially a crop um, for those forests. Yes. You wouldn't wouldn't grow wheat and allow a bunch of weeds to grow in with the wheat and then expect to get a clean harvest of grain from that, that field. Yeah, you know, and you know, when you're talking about the percentage of Oregon that's actually in private forest ownership, is is very small compared to the overall size of Oregon, and even in compared to the overall forested portions of Oregon. So I, I you know, you're you're going down a path of trying to make it sound like the entire state's being clear cut, and it's not. And, and no, the reason I, that, that's it's not that. Is sorry, that was not my point. Okay, but you're, it, you're but, starting but to give that 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 example. You're trying to make it sound that way, and I just want to make sure we're clear that private forest ownership that does the monoculture clear cut because that's the way Doug fir grows is in sunlight, not in shade. And Doug fir has a specific reason why it's grown. It's grown because it has right. the highest modulus of elasticity of any softwood. You know, it's actually right. it's, it's the super, fastest growing. It's also it got the, the fastest
3: best strength. growing. They can grow together very closely. Um, they're, they're great at doing it's that. Just, that's and that's what makes of. them more profitable for the industry. Yeah.
2: It's not but just the, the fastest point I would... Go on. It, it's, it, it, it has a superior strength to 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 dimension ratio. That's what modulus elasticity Sorry, I'm talking engineer talk a little bit there. But you can put it more has load high on, economic value. Yeah, on a on a Douglas fir, which means you need to you can use less wood in a structure, which is which makes sense. You know, we could grow a bunch of, of southern pine uh in this, you know, very quickly that grows actually faster than Doug fir, but you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to build the same kind of structures out of it.
3: Right. Well, but the point I was actually trying to arrive at was that growing uh, doug fir plantations in that way um, does not increase biodiversity. It decreases biodiversity quite a lot. And when you do that in successive stages, you know, over the course of however many times the same land is clear-cut, biodiversity continues to decrease. So. Because biodiversity does not generate profits for the timber industry, they have no incentive to protect existing biodiversity. So this leads us back to that point I made earlier, which is that we cannot rely on capitalism to solve human problems that are matters of the heart. And that is what we are well, facing now, also with this pandemic. Not in the same way, but yeah. So
2: first, I would challenge your claim that the current, um, you yeah. know, private lands are are, are decreasing biodiversity because there's certain species that depend on that that clear, clear cut to live that we're actually losing an organ. There's certain hummingbird species and, and, uh, other species that, that are, if you go to all old growth, they disappear. Um, so well, there, there's, there's many layers, that, that, there's, that, that, there's many
3: layers to a forest. You know, there's not just yeah. one kind of tree in a forest that doesn't support an ecosystem. You have understory trees and those are shaded out when you overplant. uh, you know, your, your timberland. I'm just saying it's not best practice.
2: But your timberlands are are constantly from, you know, freshly clear cut to ready to harvest. And it's that age of the land that, that provides a diversity that you don't see in unmanaged lands quite often. So you don't have that open area for some of those species that allow that, aren't allowed in some of the forests, particularly in the federally uh, U.S. Forest Service-managed forests that have had very little harvest, you're starting to see we're losing certain species in Oregon that like that open space because there's just not enough of it.
3: Interesting point, interesting uh, point. And that actually ties into the history of the land. What did this landscape look like 150 years ago or 200 years ago?
2: A lot you of it know. was managed by the native population. They set fire to most of the Willamette Valley every year to keep it cleared of, of dug fur. So That's would stay right. It was fir. a managed
3: it, landscape.
2: It, yep. Managed by the native population.
3: That's true. The Kalapuya and the, the yeah. other, mostly the Kalapuya, and it, uh, to my so. knowledge. Um, but uh, that's an interesting point. It, is, it was a managed landscape. So we're still managing the landscape, um, but the purpose, the purpose is different now. It's geared toward a different uh, set of needs, if you will, or wants, and that is changing the landscape drastically compared to what it was.
2: Yeah, you know, if, you, if yeah, yeah, I'm there. I'm just trying to think about yeah. I'm just the I'm still back to the percentage of privately owned forest land compared to the overall forest in 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 Oregon, and how much of it's in federal ownership and unmanaged um, can be completely changing our landscape. Um, yeah, are there are other places where I think we're doing you know larger changes to landscape. Um, yeah, than than. Than forestry, you know, whether whether it's some of our massive amounts of irrigation in arid areas of the, of the U.S. to our uh, um, some of our urban, but even then, there's such a small, you know, our, the developed land of Oregon is is about three to four percent of the total area of Oregon. Um, so, so I, I kind of I get your point. Um, but okay, I, I'm glad I'm all, of, I, all, I,
3: all I want, all I ask is that I am being understood.
2: Yeah, yeah. You I understand you're where you're going. Me. Yeah, I'm not agreeing with you, but I get your point that, that you don't believe that capitalism necessarily um covers some of these non um profit motivated things. But I think ultimately as people decide something's important to them, capitalism will swing to provide that. I mean walk into your your average grocery store nowadays and look how much gluten-free non-GMO or organic food there is available compared to 15 to 20 years ago. Now, was there a profit? Was that profit driven or was it driven by the fact that us as a population decided that was an important thing for us that we wanted and industry followed with trying to make it available for us and yeah that's so there are ways where non-profit things get get, you know put into the capitalistic system just like the idea of providing Mm -hmm. somebody that's very visible cleaning um the grocery store come july of 2020 Mm -hmm. so i i got another caller on the line so
3: I just just want to finish with saying I'm not knocking on capitalism. I'm not saying capitalism, capitalism is evil. I'm saying that it takes a partnership with the human heart, human soul to make it work for us.
2: I I don't disagree in the least there. We all have to keep our human side. And that's kind of where I was sort of having a bit of an argument there about, um, you know, whether we're reacting, overreacting to that first caller, um, the human side and the human cost to me is you know how much is an overreaction Yeah. so i appreciate well, you call if Zorro. we do
3: if we do overreact we'll do it for the right reasons
2: yeah yeah which is we're trying to protect life which there's yeah. t- how do you put a dollar value on that Yeah. You know? there's nothing capitalistic about that well thank you for calling
3: thank you thank, thank you, for, you for yeah thanks for talking thanks for talking yeah.
1: Hey, Thanks Jay. How you doing?
0: Those... I'm doing
2: well. Great. Yeah, I mind? wanted to
0: actually call you. Yeah, I wanted to call you and, and thank you for all the work you guys are doing on Collard Lake. You guys took that over. You guys are clearing out the oh. culverts, and uh, so the water all can drain well. And they're cutting everything back, and they're just doing an incredible job down there. But before you go on this one, I'm down here on a uh, in uh, Florence on Main Street. And it is deserted. I mean, it's like a ghost town down here, but it's beautiful.
2: Yeah, I know. I just uh, I've seen some pictures of of um, you know the the riverfront. Is, is that what's the name of the main street there? Is it Broad Street or? Um, uh, it, I, it's Bay. Bay Street. Yeah, I knew it began with a B, and I was it was it was not coming to my mind right away. But yeah, I've seen some photos of Bay Street where there's no one part where you know that all these. I can't tell you how many times I've come down there could not find a parking space and had to go down and park oh, I know. in the big parking there.
0: <laughs> I I'm I'm standing right in front of BJ's ice cream right now and it's like, you know, the lights are on but you know, there's nobody home and it's just it's beautiful. I mean the trees are out and the big puffy clouds above us, but there's nobody here.
2: Yeah, yeah, which is sad and but in in so many ways, um I really appreciate it that it's that way because it means people are listening to the fact that we uh, really need to keep our distance right now, and that that's such an important thing to do. And, and I think the people of, of been in Lane County and really take that. Part. Um, unlike a couple weekends ago, where everybody flocked to the coast for a little bit because they kind of started thinking that this whole um, you know, shelter at at home meant go on a vacation. Uh,
0: the coach, no, I hear you. And people in this town, we wanted to put signs on 126 with expletives saying stay home. Yeah, yeah.
2: But we didn't. There, there was a song that went around the internet that was pretty funny that was uh, Stay the the Blanket Home. Uh, yeah.
3: Are, yeah. Yeah, it's kind yeah of like, because yeah. we we have
0: a yeah we have a huge um, retirement population here, and you know Florence, I think the average age is like sixty years old. So we really want to uh, keep as many of us alive until this is over as possible. Yeah,
2: which is so important, and, I, and it's going to be at, at such a cost, though. You know, you are standing there in front of BJ's, which is great ice cream. Um, you know, all those businesses down there are are suffering, and they, they, you know, hopefully, hopefully, the stimulus package they put together, two point three trillion dollars, which is hard to imagine, that much money um, has up in there to help some of these businesses and help them recover and get by. As we start to imagine what July of 2020 looks like,
0: you know, when do you think right.
2: it's going? Yeah, you know, when do you think Florence is going to start returning to normal. You know, uh,
0: well, you know, isn't it amazing? It's, it's perfect timing that, you know, interest rates for the Fed to borrow is at zero. And so we can borrow all the money we want. I hate to think what the ramifications will be as different political parties take control and they can spend. I mean, what are we going to have, like a $50 trillion debt in a matter of, you know, a few decades?
2: when that has to be refinanced you know, at some time in the future, if the interest rates aren't zero, then
0: um, somebody's going to be paying the price. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, locally here. Um, yeah. You know, we being a small town, we basically know who our neighbors are and who owns the businesses down here. And we even have like a couple here. We're raising money for just for a I don't know their names. I forgot what they are. Just, you know, we're raising money just for this uh, one couple. With their kid just got sick, and they can't pay the rent. So, you know, in little ways, we're helping each other here in Florence.
2: Yeah, yeah. And that's – Florence is a great town for that. Um, it's an amazing town in some ways. I mean, I've never seen a town that has a rotary that can have a uh, six-figure auction that's less than 10,000 people. You know, it it's really chip in, they come together, they support, you know, everything from their Humane Society to um, Society Saw Outreach Services to uh, the Western Lane Boys and Girls Club. I mean, there's so many different things you guys support down there, uh, and such a great cadre of volunteers and everything, but that's part of the kind of a retirement community which is why the average age is over 60. Um, but it's also what makes Florence really great because you guys do band together and help each other.
0: Yeah, you almost have to get on a waiting list in this town to uh, volunteer. And the Elks Lodge here, it's amazing because uh, we have like over 800 members, probably 900, and we, like every every week, we vote on giving little bits of money here and there to the school, to all kinds of organizations. I can't say how much money we have, but, it's considerable and yeah so we just donate money like crazy and so yeah it's like uh it comes in the front door and we push it out the back and yeah Florence is a pretty awesome town it is
2: and and hopefully we'll survive this pandemic and the shutdown and restart the economy and uh there's so many good things going for Florence right now from the fact that it's got some of the best high speed broadband access in the frickin' country, thanks to Hayek and, and Robbie and some of those folks, uh, where you can get fiber to your front door. You know, that doesn't happen in most communities. Um, you know, that that and that that opportunity there is such an economic driver to, you know, the great amenities of the coast that drive tourism there, um, the fact that you have an airport, um, it, it, when, when this is over, Florence will, will bloom again. But I was just so sad to hear about the Rhodey Fest um, being closed down for the year.
0: Yeah, but it, that's I'm, kind of sad. You know, because we've had that roadie Festival, like rain or shine, for like forever. Oh, yeah, I've, I've, been, <laughs> I've been in the parade when it was pouring, and I've been in the parade when yeah. it was sunny.
2: Uh, yeah, well, that, that's uh, a testament
0: how long you've been in office for.
2: <laughs> yeah yeah somewhat and uh, you know what I'm kind of thinking is you know we lost this festival maybe but we have an opportunity coming up in November to maybe have a a redo and that it'll be the anniversary of the exploding whale on November
0: 13th oh my gosh if people don't know that you have to go well the first time I ever found this out I actually went and visited the um uh it's like a, a federal park where you, it's like Cape Perpetua and I just went in there and the guy said I was just like oh hey you got you can see whales from out here and he goes he just like gives me a wink and says come back here to the movie theater I'm going to show you something and it was like it was hilarious to see that in their little movie theater there at Cape Perpetua yeah yeah
2: yeah It it's yeah it, it is one of the most viewed videos on the internet ever like in the top 10 ever that exploded well that whole um report from that uh i think it was an NBC reporter at the time that, that, that great face report about the whole thing <laughs> oh no, gosh if
0: no yeah. if if anybody listening hasn't seen it you got to see it I have to say, now, I sat in this audience with these people that all came in. There's probably like 12 of us. And the majority of us were like, oh, my gosh, this is like Saturday Night Live or, um, you know, right out of uh, that those British comedies, um, uh, Monty Python. It was right out of that. But there were a few people that were horrified. But that even made it even more rich. Yeah. Yeah, well, so anyone
2: Google exploding whale the video i, I guarantee right. you but but we you know i would you know we can have a exploding whale festival where you know maybe there might be a sushi <laughs> contest of some kind or you know, perfect
0: i can think about perfect 100 you know,
2: and fireworks display that night you know <laughs>
0: I, I i'll, I'll tell you what jay workers. i will i will go before the city council and i will propose Sushi is the official meal for the <laughs> – and I'll give you all the credit. Uh, I don't need any credit. If, if we, if, you know, just think about it, because
2: November is kind of – that early part of November is kind of dead in Florence before the holidays, and people are coming down for Thanksgiving. What a great way to bring right. business over there, and, and hopefully by then we're all done with this COVID stuff, and we can yeah. attract no, I hope all so
0: all over. Yeah, absolutely well uh, life is like I saying let's t-shirt. let's go now so i'm gonna I get in the car and head on back to the warm house but hey jay just all like right. i said want to thank you for uh, all the road work you're doing on our road up here in uh florence you guys took over the road i think you voted on it to to allow that happen and you guys are just you've taken over the road and it's it's spectacular thank you very much
2: all right thank you jeff and thanks for calling in
0: all right Alrighty, Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
2: Well, that was a fast Bo's Nose show this week. Uh, in fact, we're running a few minutes over, but that's the magic of internet radio. We can do that. You can't do that on a regular show. You cut callers off and said, I'm sorry, we're out of time. Um, so uh, we didn't quite get to talking about rent holidays. We'll talk about that next week and the idea of basically a taking without compensation when you do that, unless you've, compensate the property owners so we'll be back next week with the next edition of the bows nose show and trying to keep you a little bit entertained as everyone's staying at home and going a little crazy obviously people must be listening because we're calling in hope you enjoyed the show have a great week and we'll talk to you next week thanks for listening